jumper on the way. Good! Tyus Battle nails the three! Dungy leaps and into the end zone for Dungy. A touchdown! If that's not on every highlight show tonight, then I, I don't know who's watching. Powered for Dungy! Soaring through the air! High-flying Slovakian! Screen pass here, he'll get one. And he stays alive and he's got room to the 10. One man to beat, he'll do it. Touchdown, Syracuse! And for Syracuse, party time. The upset, pulled by the Orange. They defeat Clemson 27 to 24. The penetration, step back. Oh, a pressure bucket for Tyus Battle. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Powered by Drivers Village and Hummel's Office Plus. Good afternoon, everyone. Glad to have you with us alongside Seth Goldberg. I'm Stephen Fonte. It's a Monday edition of Orange Nation. We want to hear from you. 315-437-7644. No guests lined up for hour number one. We're going to talk a lot of SU basketball here in the first hour. We will get to the college football national title game at the top of hour number two. Our good friend Joe Gorcho from WIS in Columbia, South Carolina. He's a Cuse grad working down there. Uh, he will uh, join us at the top of the hour to talk some Clemson football and Clemson basketball. Let's not forget the ACC home opener for the Orange set for Wednesday night inside the Dome against those Clemson Tigers. And then coming up at 1.30 today, we'll have Adrian Autry. He normally joins us uh, every Monday in the first hour at 12.30. He's in a team meeting, though. We will get to Adrian Autry at 1.30. And again, as Seth just mentioned, we'll have the latest edition of the Adrian Autry Show coming your way tonight from 7 to 8 o'clock live from Shaughnessy's. Again, your phone calls welcome at any time. 315-437-7644. And a lot to talk about with this SU men's basketball team, Seth, as the Orange uh, got the ACC schedule started on the right foot over the weekend. Fell behind by double digits to Notre Dame. Gave up seven threes in the first half to the Irish. Scratched and clawed their way back. still hitting threes? He is. I think he just made one. And uh, it's funny because when we, we broke down the matchup last week, Jerry McNamara said, yeah, they're they're shorthanded. No Rex Fluger, you know, no Matt Farrell, no Bonzi Colson. Uh, they still have TJ Gibbs, though. He's he's the one guy in on that team that could beat you. He was fantastic. Dropped in six threes, uh, 18 points for the Irish. But Syracuse got it done on the offensive end, and then defensively they were great in the second half. But how about Elijah Hughes? His best game in an SU uniform with 22 points, 10 rebounds. O'Shea Brissett also had a double-double, 19-11. and 11. Tyus Battle, uh, all he does is hit big shots. Some of those shots that he hit, Seth, in that that second half had a had a step back that comes to mind. Hit a floater in the lane, and and they seem to always come at big times when they need a basket. As good as Elijah was, and Elijah hit some big baskets in this game. As good as O'Shea Brissett was, Tyus Battle is still the you know the alpha dog on this team. When they need a basket, he finds a way to get the job done. Yes, uh, I mean it's it's what we've known time and again, time and again when they need. When they need a bucket, when they need a shot, Tyus Battle is going to go make it. Now, Elijah Hughes had a great game. O'Shea Brissett played well, um, you know, to go along with Tyus. But it, it felt like the biggest basket of the game, as you kind of said, at the end of the game, they needed a shot. Tyus Battle pulls up, hits that long two-pointer, hits, hits a couple more shots, and, you know, all in all, they get a win. I, I think that it was interesting to watch because, like you said, in the first half, they fall behind by 10 points. Um and, like, they very easily could have just kind of folded up 
you know, falling behind that much that early. And the fact that they didn't and that so soon after that not only wasn't a factor, but they were winning and they were pulling ahead. Um, I, I think that that was a, a really, you know, a, t- a testament to what this team could be. Um, you know, not saying that they're a great team right now, but you kind of see the glimpses and the and the uh, the glimmers of of what this team could be. This could be a really good team, and I, I think that we saw that Saturday with digging out of that hole with all the scoring options they have, and then at the end, Tyus Battle coming up and hitting big shots. I think it's a really encouraging sign, and not to overreact to one win, but I think it's a very encouraging sign that you know Notre Dame shoots forty five percent essentially, forty four point eight percent in the first half. They hit seven threes. They led by ten. This is a road game. We know it's a tough place to play. You, you take all those those factors into account. That's not exactly a recipe for success, but Syracuse was able to match the 45% shooting by Notre Dame in that first half. SU was 44%, a shade over 44% in that first half. They were efficient from behind the arc, 7 for 14 in that first half from 3. They continued to hit shots throughout the game from 3-point range, finishing with a season-high you know, 12 made threes. And defensively, they tightened up in the second half. Offensively, they were really very good for 40 minutes. And defensively, they got better as the game went along. They actually rebounded in this game, won the rebounding battle by plus 10. Again, it's not a recipe for success for the team to get off, you know, the opponent to get off to a fast start, <laughs> no. you know, in their own building, you're down by 10 on the road and to to have to scratch and claw your way back, but they were able to do it and you know, we said last week if Notre Dame is able to play this game in the 60s, they've got a really good chance to win. Well, Notre Dame was in the 60s, but SU offensively was about as good as we've seen this season. Yeah, and and you know what? Like I I know that that was about as good as we've seen them play offensively, but I I struggle coming up with reasons why that can't be what they do on a regular basis. I, I struggle with why can't they go out and score 72, 75, 80 points a game. Like they, They've so clearly got the offensive firepower. Like That's so painfully obvious. And when you watch a game like that one on Saturday where Elijah Hughes is hitting all his shots and O'Shea Brissett's three is falling um, and he's going to the basket and Tyus Battle, he scored 17 points, but he was just kind of like okay for the majority of that game, right? He, he wasn't anything, Notre he wasn't Dame anything a, remarkable for the majority no, of that game. Notre Dame did a great job making things difficult on Tyus. They he did. did not get any easy looks, and he scored 17 points. He worked for those 17 points. He had to hit some really tough shots in the second half to get to 17 points. Yes, he, he did, and he got to 17 because he, he did that work. Oh, and by the way, they shot five free throws. You know, like it's... There's there's so much room for improvement, even off of a or room for growth. I won't say improvement, room for growth off of what was a very good offensive game, and I think that that's what makes some of the earlier season things and earlier the early season struggles so much more frustrating. Like it's it's so obvious that this team could have been doing more offensively throughout the early part of the year, and and then you see a game like Saturday where three guys. Uh, two guys are really on, and a third guy scores 17 points, and Frank Howard is there. Um, you know, the shooting number's still a little off, but a little bit better. I mean, they combined for 65 of 70, uh, of 72 points. Like, the the four of them combined for 62, 65 points. Like, that's that's good. That's really good. And, and that's something that I don't know that you can count on on an everyday basis, but if you can... If you can count on 16 points a game from the from the four of them, like that's a really good start. That's a lot better than where you were last year. 
Yeah, I mean, is it realistic to get 65 points out of those four guys? I, I mean, it's it's realistic. That means that, that they would have to essentially average 16 points apiece. And some nights, you know, you're going to have Frank Howard scoring eight and Elijah scoring 22. Well, guess what? That, you know, that essentially evens out. evens out to, you know, not quite, but it almost evens out exactly to 16 points. And, and that's the idea is that, you know, it, one night it's going to be Tyus, one night it might be O'Shea goes off a little bit. But if everybody can be in that ballpark, then yeah, why can't this team score around 70 points? And if this team can score around 70 points a night. and Their you, defense is good right, enough to win games You would expect that, that the defense will continue to improve. I think we've seen the defense get better the, you know, the last few games. Um, you know, s- since the Buffalo game, I think you've seen the defense improve. And now I, I get the two of those opponents were, you know, Arkansas State and St. Bonaventure. But I think the defense has continued to get better. We know what it can be. We saw it at the end of last year. So if this team can can score around 70 points, they're going to win a lot of games. Now, are they going to beat Duke with 70 points? Probably not. Are they going to beat North Carolina with 70 points? Probably not. They need to score a little bit more against certain teams, but can they beat Virginia with 70 points? Can you win a lot of games in this conference? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So, you know, it keeps coming back to the, the one guy they have to get going is Frank Howard. It keeps coming back to that. And we keep saying, you know, is this the game that, that Frank's going to break out? The one thing I will say about him and just the team in general is that they are pushing the basketball, even after makes from the opposing team. We're used to seeing them walk the ball up the floor. Not anymore. I mean, they were getting it out and they were going and they were getting into their sets. They weren't necessarily taking shots early in the shot clock against Notre Dame, but they were getting out, they were going, they were getting into their offense and they were they were trying to get some easy baskets. I I, I like how they are pushing the ball. And, and so even though Frank is still struggling, I like the fact that, you know, He's listening to the coaches, and he's pushing the ball, pushing the tempo a little bit more. They're playing with more speed, more tempo on 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 the offensive end, and and it's just it's it's making everything a lot more fluid, you know. And again, not to make too much from one game, but we saw it against Arkansas State. We saw it against St. Bonaventure. It was good to see it against an ACC opponent. Yeah, I mean they they got up and down the court a lot better yesterday uh, than they had been for the majority of the non conference schedule. You know, it's. Um, it, it was interesting to watch because it, it felt like it started a little slow and then like Jalen Carey came in and it pushed and then once Frank came back in for Jalen Carey, it carried over. You know, like it like they, they just needed that that spark. Like they just needed that five minutes to to start moving, and then once they started, they didn't stop. And, and officially, they were only credited with two fast break points, but that's not what I'm... Re- I'm not referring to no. fast breaks. I'm referring to just playing with more pace instead of wasting the first 12 seconds of the shot clock, right. walking it up, and then assessing, and then, you know, 12 to 14 seconds go off the shot clock before you even make the first pass. We didn't see that on Saturday. We saw them get the ball up the court, you know, into the front court, into their offense in five or six seconds, and it, it gives you more time to... To do something. Yeah, and we've talked about that before also, where they it's not just about getting transition points to, to what you said. It's about actually like moving with crispness and with pace in the in the offensive half court. And I think that this team right now and and you know over the last three games has moved a lot better without the ball, has moved a lot better in the offensive half court. Um, than than they had been, you know. Elijah Hughes moving for shots, O'Shea Brissett moving without the ball. Like it, it seems like they're doing a lot more than they had been. And if you're able to do that, and if you're you know putting together the, you know if you're putting together a game plan where you're moving more and you're not so stagnant, you're going to get better better shots. You're going to get open shots. You're going to get better looks. 
And and I think that that's what we've been seeing out of this team over the last two weeks is that they're getting better shots and they're hitting their shots because Elijah Hughes is a good shooter. Because Tyus Battle, generally speaking, is a good shooter. Because O'Shea Brissett is a good shooter. So when they get good looks, when they get open looks, they're going to hit 40% of them. You mentioned a moment ago, you, you asked, you know, is it realistic for this team to get 64 points out of four guys? And and I, I do think that it, it's it's realistic. I mean, Frank's a guy who averaged, you know, 14 or 15 points a year or a game last year. And, you know, he's only been in double figures once. Um you know, O'Shea Brissett scored 19 on Saturday. He's absolutely capable of that. Tyus Battle, we know, you know, he he's at, he scored 17. I mean, he's averaging 18 points per game, and, and you know that he can go off for 20-plus any time. The, the X factor with this team this year is is Elijah Hughes. And you get the sense that, that what Elijah did on Saturday, that that's that's more of what we can expect, right? He, he made six threes. He's not going to make six threes every game. But they've said that he's shooting 40% plus in practice. And that's what he did in the game. Right, but he's 35% right now on the season. And and that's with scoring 14 or more points in seven straight games. So he's been super consistent, but you, you get the sense that he's only going to get better, that he hasn't... He hasn't hit his potential yet. No, it doesn't feel like it. Remember before the year we were talking about him as like somebody similar to Tyus Battle, similar to that skill set. He can, and and I think that like that's what we saw on Saturday. That's what we've been seeing these last you know however many games. You said seven games with fourteen points or more. Like we're seeing that he is a Tyus Battle caliber offensive player. He's a guy who can score at the rim, in the mid-range, and beyond the three-point arc. And he might even have a better three-point shot than Tyus does. I think so, he does. I, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know that that's much of a question. So when you factor in, you know, when you factor all of that in, yeah, 22 points is a career high. I don't think it's insane to say that he's going to average 16 points a game. We, I mean, he's already there. Like, if he just keeps doing what he has been the first two months of the year, he's going to do that. So last year, O'Shea averaged 14. Last year, Frank averaged 14. Last year, Tyus averaged uh, 20. Okay, so if you if you even it all out, they each you know that's that's about 17 a game from from the three of them, right? It was 50 points a game essentially from the three of them. Like it's it. I don't think it's crazy to say 16 a game from these four. Like they all very much have that capability. And last year, you know, I know I brought this up with you pre-show. Last year, we were talking about this team and said, okay, if O'Shea Brissett, Tyus Battle, and Frank Howard can combine for 60 points, that's a good starting point. Okay, but that but that meant that you're, you're asking for 20 points each. That's insane, right? Like, that's crazy. You're asking three guys to play so high above their capabilities. Asking these four guys to score 16 points a game doesn't feel like you're asking them to do something so much above their capabilities. And that touches on a question that I, I want to get to in the next segment, Seth, something that, that I, I want to discuss with you. But we do need to go to the phone lines now. And at this time... The first Monday of every month, we are joined by a member of the SOS Sports Medicine team today. Uh, we're delighted to be joined by Dr. Brad Raphael. He's the 
team orthopedist for the Syracuse University uh, basketball team. Uh, doctor, great to have you on. Happy New Year. How are things? Happy New Year. Thanks so much. Great to be on um, on the show. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you coming on. So we, we want to talk injuries with you for a couple of minutes. And sure. uh, the, the one injury that, that comes to mind for me has to do with the, the college football national title game tonight between Alabama and Clemson. We saw Tua Tagovailoa uh, injure his ankle, high ankle sprain uh, in the in the SEC title game. There was some question whether or not he would be back five weeks later to play in the college football playoff. Not only did he come back, he looked great. It looked like no ill effects uh, from from the injury whatsoever. So we've come to find out that he had you know some sort of uh, special procedure, quote unquote, uh, done out in Colorado, um, and and he was able to come back instead of six to eight weeks. They were able to bring him back uh, in five. Are there there's some new cutting edge you know things out there to to help with a with a high ankle sprain and and is that I guess the wave of the future in in your line of work? So um, all great questions and um, to answer your question, I mean that is it's such a complicated. Um, so many factors are involved in this injury because first of all, he is a superhuman athlete. You know, for I mean, there's the surgical being able to be being able to fix the quote high ankle sprain, but then there's actually having the ability to heal in five weeks, you know, having the trainers work on it, him work on his uh, rehabilitation, letting it heal, because there's only so much you can do to speed up that healing process. And basically, um, what, what my understanding for this injury was, was that your high ankle sprain, meaning they're ligaments that, that connect the two, two bones in your lower leg. And what happens is, is he has a bad ankle sprain where those bones get widened. And so traditionally, you put them in a boot, you can um, sometimes put them in a cast, you non-weight bear, you let this thing heal, and if it doesn't heal, sometimes we traditionally have gone on to surgery where we have to put screws across these bones. Well, now we have this new technology over the last really 10 to 12 years where instead of putting screws across the bones, we make a small incision and we put a very strong rope across, uh, stitches basically. And so because we're using stitches and not big bulky screws, it's a little bit more comfortable for the patient and we're able to get them um, back more quickly. Now, having said that, there's getting back quickly and then there's five weeks. I mean, this is superhuman what he was able to do uh, for Alabama, not only because you figure what's amazing is not only to get them healed, but he hadn't played for weeks. And so you lose your your endurance, you lose your stamina. You, You would never even guess by watching him play that game. Yeah, you know, I wanted to ask you about recovery times, and and I wasn't going to compare, you know, if I had an an ankle sprain compared to an athlete, because that's that's not fair. Like, that's ridiculous. I would be off it for way longer. What are things that factor into, like, when one high-level athlete has a high ankle sprain versus another, what kind of things factor in to allow somebody to return so much faster, like in a case like this? So, um, I mean, again, there's so many different variables that – uh, you're dealing with these such high-level athletes to begin with that they are superhuman healing. Um, you know, these guys, there's a reason why they're playing Division One football and Division One basketball and NFL and NBA because when they got ankle sprains when they were growing up in, you know, middle school and high school, they would heal a little quicker and they would get back and they would, they, it's basically self-selected. On top of that, we're talking about, you know, NFL and in this case, you know, pretty much semi-pro when you're talking about Alabama football. They have access to all different types of um, rehabilitation and um, cryogenic, meaning different different icy machines, different water bath machines, different underwater treadmills and zero-gravity treadmills. So that, I mean, they have, um, uh, they have access to all this equipment 
that um, on top of the fact, don't forget, he was the finals rover. So you know, we got to remember these are still student athletes. These are not NFL players. They still have uh, classes. They still have tests that they have to take. But now, you know, in these last couple of weeks, tests are over. It's his, it's his break. So he can go in. I, was, I read on that he was doing three, four sessions a day of rehabilitation. So that in itself, I mean, it, it's unbelievable the amount of, uh, that was invested in his recovery. Dr. Brad Raphael joining us here for another minute or two on uh, Orange Nation from the SOS Sports Medicine team. I, I do want to ask you an NFL question, uh, Doctor. And, you know, we saw Nick Foles and the Eagles, uh, you know, win again uh, yesterday, and they, they're moving on. Their quarterback, Carson Wentz, out with a, a back injury. Uh, there have been kind of conflicting reports what exactly it is. But I, I saw one place it was a, a spinal compression injury. Another place said it was, a, a you know, a fracture in his back. He's going to have to have surgery in the offseason. So the Eagles have a decision to make in the offseason. They've got Nick Foles, who, who might be the best uh, backup quarterback in the history of the NFL, and they've got Carson Wentz, who, who's their future. Is this an injury that that could affect Carson Wentz and uh, his ability to perform down the road, or once he has this surgery done, should he be good to go? Um, well, without I don't know all the details, but if it is a compression fracture, which is I, I had read before as well, you know, it's interesting. Usually, compression fractures, especially in a young athlete, because Carson is still in his early twenties. I mean, he's still young. You know, he's the future. Um, those usually do not require surgery. Now, this may be a case where it hadn't healed appropriately, and you know, you get either X-rays or more form, more you know, uh, elaborate X-rays called CT scans or CAT scans, MRIs. You, you basically are following the progression of the healing with these sophisticated tests, and it sounds like it probably was not healing appropriately. And so instead of just letting it go on and on and on, it sounds like they may be doing procedures where you either sometimes you can actually put cement into that bone so that it hardens and actually allows it to heal. Sometimes it requires a little bit more invasive operation where the compression, meaning that you think of it like a, like the, the vertebras, like donuts almost, one donut on top of each other, and now you've compressed it, you start to lose some of that, the, the appropriate shape of your back, and that causes more stress on the donuts above and below or the vertebra above and below. And so you don't want this to become just real chronic back problems. And so um, usually, these, uh, usually these athletes respond really well with non-operative treatment, and they're out for you know, anywhere from two to three months. But it sounds like that it was not healing appropriately. And you've got to remember, he was, probably was not 100% back from his ACL. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he may have been a little bit deconditioned, may not have had that full strength back because not only do you rehab your knee, but you rehab your hips, your core, your all these, uh, you know, all the um, the balance muscles. And I'm I would assume that it never fully regained his strength, and that's probably what made him a little bit more prone to this. May not be moving around as well, so you're a little bit more susceptible to getting sacked. But my concern would be, you know, he's a guy who is quote your future. He's now had two season-ending injuries in two straight seasons. You yeah. know, what what are his long-term, you know, um, his prognosis? And that I don't know. I mean, could it be another injury next year that's something different? So I got to tell you, they've got a tough decision to make because right now Nick Foles seems un, un, unbeatable. Yeah, it's a it's a very tough decision, and and he's owed twenty million dollars if they were to to keep him, and and so that's that's an awful lot of money. So they, they yes. do have a big decision to make. Uh, listen, doctor, this was a great insight. We do appreciate. It. We're looking forward to doing this uh, the first Monday of every month. Uh, thanks so much for coming on. Happy New Year to you, and we'll we'll do it again next month. 
Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks. Right. Have a great day. There he is. Uh, you too. Uh, Dr. Brad Raphael, uh, brought to you by the SOS Sports Medicine team. We do need to take a timeout. Full lines open the rest of our number one at 315-437-7644. We'll get back to the Q's basketball talk on the other side. Keep it here. You're listening to Orange Nation on ESPN Radio. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Stephen Seth back with you, brought to you in part by CH Insurance. 315-437-7644. You can also text us at 315-288-0644. I hope Joe's right. He he picked Clemson tonight. Um, I picked Clemson. I know you did. I think Alabama's going to win, and I think there's a chance Alabama wins by double digits. Pretty good chance at that. I just I just think they're better. Uh, I, I hope I'm wrong though. I I would love to see Clemson win this game. The I, two the two championship game meetings between the two have both been decided by five points. The spread that we picked it at was five and a half. I'm going to go with the trend continuing there. I again I I hope this is a close game. I hope it's entertaining. I, I just think Alabama is that much better than than everybody else. Um, you brought up the question to Joe about the the fatigue of. Clemson and Alabama and whether or not it's you know quote unquote bad for college football um I don't think it's bad for college football I am tired of Alabama though I am I'm tired of Nick Saban I'm tired of Alabama um but that's just a like a, a me like personal preference right. thing that's a you problem yeah I don't mean problem but you no, know it I mean. is I, I'm tired <laughs> of Alabama I'm tired of Nick Saban yeah you know I I think it's funny to say we're fatigued of getting the two best teams like they, they have clearly been over this four year run and probably even before that, these two teams have clearly been the two best. So like why why would we have a problem with getting them in the in the final every year? Let me ask you this. You know I'm a proponent of the eighteen playoff. Yes. Do you think if we had an eighteen playoff that we would get the same matchup this often? Probably uh n- no, just by pure luck. Dumb luck. You luck? I mean You know what I mean. Like du- like dumb luck. Somebody you, would no, somebody no, would pull off an upset. Okay, but it, it wouldn't be luck. I mean, but like it kind of would be. Is is Clemson significantly better than Georgia? Yes. No. Yes. I completely disagree. Significantly better. Yes. I think Georgia that, was I think a that, fake punt away from that, winning that game. I think that Alabama and Come Georgia, on. I think that Alabama and Clemson are significantly better than everybody else. Come on, that's not true. I I think that yes I I think if that Georgia two, converted that fake punt that they they are, would have won that game I think that those two teams are clearly better than everybody else in college football if George okay let me rephrase the question then if Georgia had beaten Alabama in that SEC title game would that have been luck no no they right so I I think that's I think that's false to say that you you wouldn't get the same matchup just because of luck. My point is, is if you extend the playoff, you make it eight teams. There are enough good teams in college football that you would have different matchups. You would. I don't know. I mean, I they, there's also the distinct possibility that Alabama and Clemson are this good that they're just going to roll everybody they play anyway. Like think about think about what happened in the semifinals. Like, yeah, Oklahoma made that game close, but that game wasn't really close. The game against Notre Dame wasn't even remotely close. Like, isn't it? Isn't there a very distinct possibility that if you add a third game to their slate, they're just going to roll that team? Like, if you made, yeah, if you that's made a possibility. Clemson, if you made Clemson play Michigan, isn't there a very distinct possibility that they're just going to beat them by 45? That is a possibility. Of or that course, if Alabama play Washington. Like if Alabama had to play Washington, poor poor Washington's going to lose by fifty. 
But my point is, is if you make good teams play more games against other good teams, you are going to get some parity. You are. I mean, look at college basketball. We know generally who the best teams are in the country. Like last year, Virginia was one of the best teams. Yes. Okay, but they they didn't they didn't make it because they had one off night, and that wasn't even necessarily against a good team that they lost to. Right. So if you if you extend the playoff and you play more games of good teams against good teams, and and yeah, one of the teams is better. Like Alabama and Clemson are better than whoever they're going to face in the first round in the quarterfinals or in the semifinals. But, but could if, they lose to a good team? I mean, Clemson are, almost lost now, to Texas A and M. But now, if you were to expand out the playoffs, and and I understand where you're coming from. Don't get me wrong, but you're not getting Georgia, Alabama. You're not getting Georgia, Clemson in the first round. No. You're you're not. You're probably not getting that game at all. But Georgia like gets in the playoff. Sure. Georgia didn't get in the sure, playoff. Sure, sure, sure. And I happen to think Georgia's the third best team in the country. Sure, and and fine, and and okay. So they would end up get, so they they win their first game. They end up getting a shot. But like you add one more game, that's not going to be like like putting them against a, another top ten team isn't a a drastically challenging game for those two. Like, like I think that I think that given where given where Alabama and Clemson are, I don't think that saying let's put those two against some arbitrary top ten team, and by that I mean the seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth team in the country. If like if that's not going to make a difference, put Clemson on the same field as UCF, they're going to get smoked. Well, okay. Put yes. Clemson on the same te- on the same field as Michigan. I and Michigan's going to get smoked. That's where we disagree, though, because I don't think Clemson is Alabama good. Like I think Alabama is Alabama good, and then Clemson is like a notch below, and then I think Georgia is next, and I think there are a lot of really good teams that on a given day could knock off a Clemson or Alabama. Georgia again. I will repeat it for a third time: was a fake punt away from winning that game, fair and square, like no fluke. You know, and I know Tua got hurt, but they Georgia outplayed Alabama that day. And if they played in 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 the playoff, you would you would get different matchups, not by luck, but by good teams playing against other good teams and playing another extra game. I think you would you would just you would get extra matchups, or you would get different matchups if you had extra games. You might. I also think that part of what makes really good teams really good, or great teams great, is the fact that they can get outperformed and still win. And each of these teams had one of those games this year. Alabama was outperformed by, Cle- by, by Georgia. Texas A&M Al- and Syracuse. Yeah, Alabama was outperformed by Georgia, and I was going to say Clemson was outperformed by Syracuse, and I didn't even think back to the Texas A&M game. But that's really what makes great teams great. Right, they they can get outperformed. They can get have games where they're not playing their best. They can have games where their their quarterback gets hurt and doesn't play a full half, and they still manage to find a way to win. It's because they're great teams because they're so much better than everybody else. All right, and that's where we disagree. I I wouldn't use the term so much better. Clemson and Alabama are better than everyone else. I don't know if they're so much better than everybody else. Let's go back to the phone lines. Uh, Scooter and Jamesville up next on the show. Hey, Scooter. Hey guys, if, if you. If you're a Clemson fan, the thing I would worry about is the two teams that scored a lot of points against uh, Clemson came from the Southeast Conference. You mentioned A&M, but you probably look at the South Carolina score, too. Yeah, you're right. And South Carolina actually wasn't actually a juggernaut on offense. And you're kind of wondering, 
if it, I've always said, you know, it'd be it'd be bad for college football if someone ever talked Saban into passing the ball because he, you know, he's old school, run and play defense. And I always thought that, you know, the I've been talking for years that's the passing game, and it actually it actually can neutralize uh, good, you know, uh, good teams can play against great teams if they can neutralize the front seven and just play four, you know, four on four with your receivers. And now all of a sudden they talk Saban into passing the ball. And I don't know, man. I, I, I agree with you. I don't want to see Alabama win, uh, but I, I, I got this gut feeling that uh, Clemson uh, – Seth, I disagree with you a little bit, buddy. I think Clemson, if they played uh, – I thought I, – I, you know, the conference was down. Uh, we, we all know Lawrence was put in there not, not to beat Syracuse, not to beat Florida State. It's for this game here. And we'll see what you can do because they know that you have to pass the ball to beat Alabama. I don't, I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball because I don't think Saban's going to allow them to run the ball. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you, Scooter. I, I think this has the potential, and again, I hope I'm wrong, I think this has the potential to be, uh, you know, a, I don't want to say lopsided game, but I, I think Alabama could win by two scores or more. I do. I think they're that good. Um, but I we'll think, see. Look, I think they're really good, too. I think they're uh, a great team. And, and to Scooter's point, I know we've talked about this throughout the year, the, the fact that you pair the the – traditional Alabama defense along with like a big 12 caliber offense is unfair. It's a cheat code. Um, and they finally figured it out. They've, they finally found a quarterback who, who can like play quarterback at the college level. It's, it's unbelievable to watch. Let's get one more uh, phone call here in this uh, segment. Steven North Syracuse up next on the show. Hey, Steve. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk SU basketball, but just a couple of comments on the football situation. Uh, uh, the, the fact that Dexter Lawrence was out didn't seem to hurt Clemson against Notre Dame. I think it might have actually helped them because I thought their defensive line was quicker and they had a better pass rush. Uh, Lawrence is a huge run stopper, but uh, I think that replacement for him was getting to helping them get to the quarterback better. Uh, also, uh, the argument goes on about how big the playoffs should be. There were people arguing that the fact that Alabama and, and Clemson are so obviously better than everybody else this year uh, means we should go back to a two-team playoff because it's really just them and the rest is a waste of time. My response to that would be, well, why did we hold the World Series when everybody knew the Red Sox had the best team? I don't think you organize your playoff based upon uh, a particular year where two teams are obviously better than the other. I think you have to use logic and uh, historical uh, uh, precedents and, and, and things like that and come up with something that should be the best system every year and not simply based upon the results in, in one year. Uh, as far as SU basketball goes, uh, I thought the most interesting aspect of the Notre Dame game was that the uh, our first free throw came with less than five minutes left in the game. I actually looked at the play-by-play, and uh, there, there were the first 35 missed field goal attempts by Syracuse drew no fouls at all. Imagine having 35 missed field goals in a row, and you never got fouled once. Notre Dame must have been an exceptional defensive team to be able to do all that. <laughs> Excuse me, without fouling, we we normally shoot 52 percent on two-point attempts, which is where you usually get fouled. In this game, we shot 41%. We made 16 out of 39 two-point field goal attempts. So it wasn't just that we were hitting from outside and there were fewer fouls there, but the the, the referees uh, simply weren't calling fouls on anything Notre Dame did against us, and yet we still beat them by 10 on the road, and I thought that was pretty impressive. 
Yeah. Yeah, I've never seen anything quite like that. I appreciate you checking in as always, Steve. Yeah, they went 35-plus minutes uh, without a free-throw attempt. Um, and I don't care remarkable. how good a defense you're playing, that is that is remarkable that you know Notre Dame didn't commit any fouls on Syracuse you know, players going to the basket. It's not yeah. like they just settled for threes all game long, you know, no. to Steve's point. Yeah, you know, it, it, it was funny because I was watching the game, and, and part of me was saying, well, there's nothing that's egregious that's standing out to me, but like... There, nor, normally there are terrible missed calls that yeah. that aren't fouls that end up getting you on the line, and Syracuse didn't even get one of those. Yeah, it's I mean, crazy. It's, it it truly is remarkable. We do need to uh, to step aside and take a time out. We're back with today's business after this on ESPN Radio.